Well, it's a crime that has shocked South Africa. A man lost his life at the Imam Hussein Mosque in Ottawa after three unidentified men stormed into the place of worship um, to attack the priest and the caretaker there. Abbas Esop heard the commotion and went in to assist the Mulana. The men slit his throat and he later died. Well, very good afternoon to you. Welcome to Newsbreak Talk on, on this, on this, I think, a very tragic note as we discuss this particular issue that has, I think, shocked the nation. It, it's made headlines across the country. And, um, I think it's, it's, it becomes important now to discuss this and I think also try and provide some sort of, um, insight into the community because many are a little bit panic-struck about what has transpired. And I think that then begs the question, what was the motive for such an attack? Well, police say they're still investigating the case with no leads at this stage. They tell us they're working with community organizations in the area to track the suspects. But according to sources Newsbreak has spoken to, there seems to be an indication as to what could have prompted such an attack. Azad Sidat, the chairperson of the Imam Hussein Mosque, says this attack could be attributed to hate speech against the mosque. The following story contains graphic description which may upset sensitive people, including children. You know, this is total surprise. Three guys came into the mosque and, you know, they assaulted the Mulana and they assaulted the mosque in the Ketika. And then a brother from across the road, he heard the commotion and he ran up to assist and that's when they um, got hold of him, tied his hand, hands on his back, gagged him and slit his throat. And of course the Muslim, they slit open his belly. And the Mulana, they, they tried to stab him, but he, you know, he, he fought with them and he was able to defend himself. He got stabbed, but he ran up into his room, he locked himself up and he jumped out through the window. So that he managed to save himself. And what's the condition of the two surviving victims so far? The surviving victim, the Molana, is uh, discharged, and the Mosin is is uh, being um, attended to at the hospital. What has been the reaction from your devotees about what has happened? They are all shocked and very, very sad. You know, to to go through what they what we've been through. You know, they don't know how to react. You know, it's uh, it's taken us by surprise what has happened. You say this has taken you by surprise. Has there been any indication of what was going to happen? No indication at all. Nothing at all. It's total, uh, you know, uh, they work like that. You know, it's a surprise, surprise, total surprise. So like the last few weeks, the last few days have been calm, normal? Normal, normal, normal. Nothing of the sort. Everything was normal. There was no uh, indication of any kind of uh, violence going to be perpetrated. No threats, nothing we received of that sort. Nothing. Well, the most has been running normal. We never had any problems. We just, out of the blue, these guys came into this. And what do you attribute all of this to? This is attributed to the hate speech that's, uh, you know, that's preached from the pulpits, you know, telling people that, you know, we in this mosque over here, we are unbelievers, you know, and that kind of thing. And that was Azad Sidat, the chairperson of the Imam Hussein Mosque from Ottawa. Now, Mulana Said Aftab Heder from Akhlul Bayt Foundation of South Africa, the umbrella body that oversees a Shia Muslim community, says the hallmarks suggest that this was attributed to religious extremism. Our community here in Durban and this mosque which belongs to us has been attacked and assaulted and we're facing a very, very serious uh, challenge here with our community where we lost one young man defending this mosque in face of this ugly, senseless 
inhuman form of terrorism and you know it's it, it's it's very disturbing that in south african history this is the first incident of this nature that a place of worship and a religious place like mosque has been attacked and all the hallmarks are saying that the motive was again unfortunately deviant religious extremism and this is unfortunately uh, we facing in our society and in community we would like to be here to support of course our community here i am based of course in cape town but we are here to support our community here and also to the uh, public to say that we do not accept this type of threats and we will not bow down to this type of uh, you know war, uh, you know pressures and so on but at the same time of course our message is message of unity message of peaceful coexistence among different schools of thought in the house of islam and indeed and of course a peaceful coexistence in the broader south african society we believe in interfaith and interfaith harmony and unity and we are not here to of course finger or point our fingers toward certain individuals organizations but unfortunately you know pulpits and social media and radio stations have been used for last year and so for a organized anti shia campaign across the country which has fueled which resulted in this situation which we are facing today so do you believe that this attack was because of the belief system of your organization i i will i will not be able to say it for sure investigation is still going on but as i said all the hallmarks you know burning down of a mosque slitting and cutting the throat of a poor person like a caretaker here and a person who comes to defend the mosque and all me saying please don't burn the masjid and in result they come and tie his hands and tape his mouth and then slit his throat and kill him so brutally so senselessly now what else justification is there they did not come to rob here there is no money there there is no cars there to hijack what else person can justify in the situation and they insisted to burn the library part the quran the books and our literature it all shows you know indirectly what are the motivations and what is behind all the scenario and that was mulana sayed aftab hader from the ahlul bayt foundation of south africa but nonetheless an innocent life has been lost we spoke to farooq isup the brother of the slain abbas isup he tells us that abbas leaves behind two young children it's untimely it's the whole family is distraught under the circumstances that he's, he's gone or he's left us it's definitely it's untimely sad the way he's gone the person that he was he's got a death the way he lived he always stood for justice he always stood for the right and and, and the justice of of an underdog he died the death of going to help and assist someone else the mosque was in trouble the, the molana of the mosque was in trouble the caretaker of the mosque was in trouble and he assisted he left his workshop to go fight for somebody else's justice and in that process he died you know there were many 
school friends that even even so she said and even mentioned even that man was witness to the times where where he would stand up weaklings or people in his school that were bullied and Abbas would would go sort them out because he had that was his character and he died protecting other people's lives. We would have thought nothing less of him and, and we, we're not surprised that he died that way. Of course we didn't expect it to go in this way. Based on all the messages of tribute coming through on social media, especially on Facebook, mainly from his group of friends at Verulam High School, many are talking about the fact that, you know, he always made jokes, he was very jovial. Would this be an aspect of his character that you would remember as well? Abbas was a very stern character, very upright. Really. He was one of those, those characters that you couldn't sway his thought process. Adnan was more the, the jovial type between the two of them. Abbas was, was relaxed when time was needed, but very firm and very committed to if he believed in something, he was, he was very firm in what he believed in. Farouk, what is the condition of his wife and the two he young children? Got two lovely children, Abida, who is one and a half years old. She's just cut her first tooth about a month and a half ago. She's got her, her first tips a month and a half ago. The most beautiful little children. She hasn't even learned to say the word daddy yet. She's, she's, the closest she comes to, to daddy is dada. And the closest she comes to mommy is mama. That's how little she is. She's, he leaves behind an intelligent five-year-old uh, Alia and, and a wonderful wife, Sakina. His wife is, is Tanzanian. She's got no family here. They've been happily married for the last six years. And you know, like with any marriage, your first five, six years is the most difficult of any marriage. You will see this too, like with all couples, had the most trying times in the first four or five years of the marriage, and their lives were just coming right. In the last year, it was the best marriage ever. They were the closest couple. God had better plans for him, of course. Really is comforting as, as, as the older brother. I, I'm obviously married out and I'm living in Shipingo, so I'm not, not, not close to the Vedum community. And, and But I really know that now the community in Vedum is, is still that close community that I knew when I was, I was a youngster growing up in the, in the area. And that was um, the brother of Abbas Isub, the slain Abbas Isub, Farooq Isub, talking to Newsbreaks, Prabash Nimudli. So yes, it's a very tragic incident that has taken place north of Durban and we are discussing it now. We've brought you basically uh, the situation on the ground. We've spoken to some experts and some theologians about the incident. It's now time to take this conversation forward. I'm very happy and very fortunate to be joined in studio today by Professor Suleiman Dango. He's the Professor of Islamic Studies who's joining me today to talk about this. Professor, thanks for your time. Thank you for making the time to talk to us. Oh, <clears throat> welcome. And I think um, I, I think what's what's important to make clear right now is that um, a place of worship was attacked before anything else, and 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 that's and that's tragic in a in a South African society today. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's true. You know, uh, we are very fortunate in South Africa, uh, unlike some countries like France, where. Uh, religion is, you know, not very welcome in the public spaces. You know, you can pray in your church and mosque, but mm. once there is a public display, they're not very happy with it. Mm. And you can see even attack on women wearing hijab and so on. In mm. a number of countries, mm. in America, mm. Japanese as well. Mm. Uh, but South Africa is very different. Here we are very fortunate. They are not anti-religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are friendly. I would say they're f- 
religion friendly country mm. and uh, you know the constitution even recognizes uh, religions cultures and allows us to practice our faith uh, freely without any infringement and um, also we find that at the inauguration of the president they will invite people of different faith communities to come and say a short prayer so uh, in a sense the um, uh, state uh, you know works with faith co- faith communities we also know that there is a interreligious forum and uh, initially i think it was on the tabombeki and then later on um, under zuma and people belonging or the leadership of the various faith communities are represented on this interreligious forum and so i'm not sure how often they meet um, but even if they are not very effective the reality is that the state recognizes different faiths mm-hmm. or uh, we also know that uh, you know prior to 1993 the sabc was uh, known as a christian broadcast mm. all the religious programs were actually christian programs and uh, we were brought in i was a member of the religious broadcasting panel of the sabc mm. from i think it was 1993 onwards mm. and our job was to transform the sabc from a christian broadcaster to a multi-faith broadcast mm. and so what we did is actually appointed uh producers you know a hindu a jew a christian mm. um sorry christians were there muslim and mm. african traditional religion and we also introduced programs uh some was faith specific program uh like the one you see on saturday mornings it's called anur Yeah. Uh, that's a Muslim program. There is also a Hindu program, African religion program, yeah. Yeah. a Jewish program, and so on. Yeah. So, and then we also introduce multi-faith program. Yeah. So, in other words, this country is very religion-friendly. It's supposed it's giving us space. Even. Yeah. And 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 there's a great infrastructure then, as you've outlined. You know, from a PBS perspective, even to create that sense of religious intolerance. Um, and then you have an attack like this, and then one one wonders, you know, what could have resulted. um in a religious attack like this yeah i know uh, i'm not quite sure whether i'm going to call, call it a religious attack mm. i would say it's an attack inside at in a religious space yeah inside uh, a place of worship mm-hmm. at this stage the, the, the reason i say this at this point in time nobody actually knows the identity mm-hmm. or the motive yeah neither uh you know the first thing we heard was that they were egyptians mm then we heard that there were indians mm. then uh, somebody said no it must be isis all right and then somebody said no this might be an internal conflict over money or whatever then somebody said um not is a local people involved so the different stories and yeah. if you look at the social media yeah. all his stories are floating about uh-huh. and up to this day i think the only thing they identified were three people yeah and the car up to now they don't really know where these guys are mm. if they if yeah. they if they're foreign national they might be already out of the country right and, they, uh, and it's important to, to always work with the facts but i think when we come through the ground and and, and we spoke to the chairperson of, of the of the mosque and even the um uh, senior religious cleric as well and and the sense coming through is that they, they are kind of connecting the dots and they're concerned that this could be religious intolerance possible Mm. I'm not I'm not ruling that out. Yeah. What I'm saying at this point of time because we don't know all the facts uh it is premature mm. 
mm-hmm. to actually um you know jump to a those confusion. kind of conclusions yeah i'm not saying that you know that's not the case it could be but i think at this point in time especially when the police are still going around and doing the work i don't think we should preempt that you know uh, already sort of make up our decision that this is the reason and so on what happens if the police come up with a completely different uh, evidence that this was not an interreligious it may be some personal or whatever then we'll have egg, egg on our faces mm. and that's why the muslim organizations i mean many of them like the south african muslim network the united ulama council which represents the majority of theological bodies in mm. this country uh, muslim judicial council in cape town the muslim youth movement mm-hmm. uh, the islamic unity convention cape town all of them have come out with statements yeah. condemning yeah. The violence right but nobody has said specifically it is this right one of two of them have said about tolerance or intolerance mm. Mm. but nobody have actually specified who the uh, the perpetrators are because they don't know that's yeah. reality yeah so what i'm saying is at this point in time i would say to say this is an interreligious conflict i think it's premature yeah yeah so so i think then identify then the, the concern right now there is that there has been violence yes. at a place of worship that is the concern um and and then we also understand that you know religious texts were set alight yeah yeah uh, yeah that's what we were told um that relig- i'm not sure whether they were deliberately set alight or the building was set alight and so the texts got burnt possible mm-hmm. i'm not sure uh because you know if if these guys uh, were muslims uh, even if they were extremists they would not deliberately burn the texts mm. they, w- they wouldn't do that they would probably put the building or the library alight and everything might burn uh you know within um, you know which contain them mm-hmm. and so um again as i say uh, the moment it's all speculation but yeah. what is wo- worrying is that this is the first time uh in muslim community that an attack has happened inside a mosque mm. there might have been some incidents outside the mosque but not inside the mosque i mean to the extent that people were actually stabbed yeah and uh, you know one person of course lost his life So that is of great concern but I also think that there is apart from a concern within the community they're hoping everybody's hoping that this is not an interreligious conflict because what will happen you could have a tit for tat mm. you see mm. and they would say okay yeah you guys killed us and we're going to take it and, and that's a major concern is a very yes yeah and i think we need to i think in our conversation guard against that and and look at you know the 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 constructs of of, of religion to uh, ensure that there isn't such a school of thought but but let's take the conversation forward i know you eagerly want to to, to talk to us as well you can call us in about a couple of minutes time in about 5 minutes time because i do want to bring in dr fazal sudiman uh, from the he's the chairperson of the south african muslim network of course he can't join us in studio today because he's busy consulting at the moment So I'm very grateful that he was able to then make the time for us. Dr. Suleiman, thanks for your time. Thank you for having me, Teresh, and uh, hi to the listeners and to Prof. Dango. You know, as we were discussing with Professor Dango, you know, at this stage, one cannot blanket rule that this is extremism, even though a lot of the people that we've spoken to here uh, around, the, uh, around the vicinity of the mosque, the chairperson of the mosque, even the, uh, you know, the, the, the head of the Ahlul Bayt Foundation of South Africa, are suggesting that this this you know smacks of uh, religious intolerance your thoughts on that you know as a, a as a body that that advances the consciousness and and the protection of rights of all muslims um talk to me about your thoughts when you 
hear of a situation like this? Yes, firstly, I think we must be unequivocal and unanimous in condemning this thing without reservation. Uh, it's a despicable act. Um, uh, we are accustomed to, sadly, to crime in our country. But, um, you know, we've had in the past as well crimes committed at temples. We, Ramadan is coming up. We've had last year a whole range of hijackings occurring because now obviously people are going to be frequenting the mosque more and more. And these are, these are you know, crimes that hurt us. But, uh, but a brutal, senseless killing like this um, on religious grounds, uh, for whatever reason, and, and I think obviously the reasoning is something that people are, are much of the discussion is taking place around. But for whatever reason, uh, it is despicable. It is against the common sense of any human being or any religious. There cannot be a religion that, that preaches this sort of thing, whether it's in South Africa, whether it's for crime, whether it's, a, it's a, you know an act of, of passion and uh, you know. Uh, 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 religion, whatever. It's, it's, it's a senseless, unacceptable mm. act, and I think mm. we condemn it uh, without reservation. Yeah. I think, um, I, I think, Doctor Suleiman, as you as you've indicated, that is a unanim, unanimous yeah. decision. The, the, I think going the forward, issue so what does it speak about? Yeah, yeah but but uh, uh, Doctor Suleiman, before you go on to that. What does it do then to um, South African Muslims? You know, in terms of their outrage now against such a violent act. The first thing, look, firstly, it, sadly, it puts everybody on the defensive. Everybody's out there to now, as we're doing and, and as we have done, having to explain uh, that Islam is not a religion. So it, 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 for the first thing that happens is it, it tarnishes brand Islam. It tarnishes our, our, our religion and our image, and it reinforces the stereotype of a violent religion, reinforces the imagery of, of terrorism. Uh, anybody who's bearded it must be a fundamentalist, etc., etc., so immediately it has huge implications, uh, even if this turns out to just be a criminal act or nothing to do with sect or, or religion, etc. The damage is already done. Uh, we already see the headlines in many of the newspapers. Um, obviously, there are going to be people who are going to, to use this, what has happened, to further a, a certain agenda or, or whatever. Um, and, and even, you know, as I joined the conversation, I heard Prof, Prof say something about tit for tat. Not just within Muslims, there are organizations out there and people who would like to, who have tried for a long time to rush to bring the war on terror to South Africa, have us drones, have, have advisors from the West here, um, uh, introduce more laws, stricter laws, etc., like you have in Europe. And, in, and, and, and we know from our own history in South Africa during the 1990s, the third force we see happening all over the world. A fourth flag, a third force used this as an opportunity to, to now start planting uh, a little bomb here, attack somebody at another mosque, and before you know, you know it, you fomented sectarianism. Uh, and that is the bigger concern uh, as, as one of the sequelae of what, what, what has happened or, or, or what can happen. And therefore, obviously, the community is extremely concerned, um, like I say, because of the potential of, of what can happen. And, 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 and therefore, it has huge implications for the Muslim community. Well, stay tuned because we are going to be taking this conversation forward. Thanks so much, Dr. Suleiman, for giving us that insight. And we are going to be uh, taking our conversation forward with Dr. Faisal Suleiman and Professor Suleiman Dango, who's jo joining us today. I think in the meantime, you can get ready to call us the number 0893108789 and we'll take your call and we'll take your call on the issue. The views and opinions expressed on Newsbreak Talk do not represent those of SABC News or Lotus FM. Okay, let's go to the phone lines now. We've got Mr. Salbir Ahmed Jaspai on the line. Hello, Mr. Jaspai. 
thank you, Teresh. Very, very tragic, very interesting topic that we're discussing regarding Ottawa. Mm. I call it a Ottawa mosque massacre. That is what basically yeah. was tantamount to. It was achieved. It was designed to achieve the maximum amount of terror. I would not discount, but Professor Dangor is making exceptionally valid comments, and so has my learned friend, Dr. Faisal Suleiman. Mm. My concern is yeah. we cannot discount, and I noticed that Professor has not discounted the, the incidence of terror and intense in terrorism between Muslims. This is a tragedy. It's a blot on Islam. Whatever the excuse, whether it is not sectarianism, or it is sheer intolerance. It is uh, the blatant form of hate speech. We have to stand up as Muslims to say, not in the name of Islam. That is what I, I, I like to hear people talk, not in the name of Islam. Yep. We've got to stop yep. these goals in a tractorist. Mm, mm. Great points, Mr. Jasbai. Thanks so much for calling through, for giving me points to take further. Let's go to Anonymous on the line. Hello, Anonymous. Hi, uh, good day, Teresh, and uh, to your guest in the studio there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, I'm just looking at it from, from you know, different perspective. Um, you know, maybe a conspiracy theory or, uh, you know, from a curveball angle. You know, um, apparently this is a Shia mosque that, you know, in Zerlum, and it's backed by, um, you know, the, uh, I think, Iran. You know, they're, they're, they're the backers of this mosque. So, you know... You know, they are. They could be like third force activity. I think Dr. Faisal Suleiman alluded to, um, where you can have an involvement of CIA or Mossad. Because just recently, I mean, Israel, uh, you know, they attacked some interest of uh, Iran, you know, in Syria. Could be possible that you know, um, I mean, it could be a Mossad activity in this whole problem. Mm. Anonymous, thanks for your call, your contribution. I think. Uh as you know, Professor Dango was saying, there's just so many possibilities. I think there's tons of possibilities. What are the facts, though? And I think that's that that becomes important when one wants to try and have this. Um, I think responsible conversations like this. So thanks for that input. We'll definitely take it forward. We've got Selvin on the line. Hello, Selvin. Hi. Good afternoon, Teresh and Dr. Fago. Teresh, this is not an Islamic issue. This is a community issue, a national issue. Islam is just a religion where they have different religious groups praying. We need to respect that. I am saying, over the previous years, we never ever had these problems in mosques. I'm saying this, it's coincidental that when we had an Egyptian in there, this problem arises. Then I'm also saying we've had temple problems. We've had problems in churches. We had the problem in the Vatican. I'm saying that there's a lot of rules uh, one can iron out. For instance, is it an internal problem? I'm saying those who go to the mosque to pray will receive the blessings of the Almighty, but those who come to attack others will also achieve what they're doing. And I'm also saying it happens in the temples and the churches. So, Tarek, what I'm basically saying is one swallow does not make a summer. I'm saying the Islamic community, not to let this bring them down, that villain will be caught, and they must continue praying as they did before foreigners came in. Thank you, Tarek. Thanks for that call, Selvan. Let's go to Hussain on the line. Hello, Hussain. Hello. Hi, Hussain. Yes, go ahead. Right. Uh, you know, uh, I come from the premise of that, you know, in Christianity, I suspect uh, Jewism as well, and Islam, thou shalt not kill. You know, all faith, I believe, says that thou shalt not kill. So, first and foremost, that is totally out. The other big thing here is that the perpetrators are not known who or what they are. 
Now, you know, I was just listening to your um, comments from your uh, guests, and uh, it just came to my mind, because Durban, now the other day, about two weeks ago, at Marianne Toll Plaza, had, um, you know, those riots over there. Mm. Could this, and look, I don't know, since we don't know the uh, uh, origin of the perpetrators, who, where, what they are, could this be, you know, a xenophobic attack? Because the way I read it in the newspaper or on social media is that all those people that were affected, whether it be the Maulana, this Mr. Esop that passed on, and the other gentleman, I assume, and this is based on assumption, that um, these people are all of foreign origin. In other words, not South African. The way I read it, I think they are Malawians. Mm, mm. Okay, well, I think uh, interesting point that you've raised. Thanks so much for your contribution. We'll take it forward. Anonymous on the line. Hello, Anonymous. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, listening to the other guys that came on air, uh, what they said makes sense. What I can add to that is, you know, the perpetrators will be brought to book and put in jail. Let's put it that way. And what has happened is absolutely sad, and it's not a good thing that has happened. It has shocked the community. Anonymous, thanks so much for your contribution. Let's go to Kasturi on the line. Hello, Kasturi. Good afternoon. Hi, go ahead. Uh, I feel and I sympathize for what happened to the mosque and to the family and the community. My point of view, the perpetrators must be caught and must be punished. And it's not only the Muslims. All nations stand together, fight together. We must not let this continue on and on. Thank you. Thanks, Kasturi, for your call. We really appreciate it. Well, there you go. The views coming through there as expressed by many. We'll take it forward. It's Newsbreak Talk with me, Taresh. Stay tuned. Newsbreak Talk today with me, Taresh, and we are joined in studio today by Professor Suleiman Dango. He's a professor of Islamic studies. I think, uh, Professor, our initial uh, remarks and our, uh, I think what we initially spoke about, about the fact that there's so many possibilities which do you rule out, which is the truth? Nobody's confirmed that. And judging from the calls that have come through, there's just quite a great deal of of, um, of issues coming through. I think um, w- one of the um, conspiracy theories coming through is the whole issue of, you know, who funds this particular mosque? Was it that kind of uh, attack? International relations with, uh, you know, is, is, is Islamic countries or, or Muslim nations and, and the timeliness of those kinds of things right down to the fact that could this be an attack against, you know, the foreign nationals employed um, in, in that space? This is expected, though. But what, what is your thoughts on making assumptions like this? Well, yes, I know the imam. I think it's Tanzanian. All right. But if, you, if it were black people or so African people attacking them, then I would say that's possible. But if these guys were Indians or Egyptians, I will rule that out. Mm. I don't think they've been doing that. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think the, the Egyptians and the Indians here have been attacking foreign nationals. Uh, and the reason is quite simple. The, the reason for the uh, xenophobia is, you know, people don't have jobs. And then they see foreign nationals coming into the country, taking their jobs, getting housing, 
putting say a stress on education on health and so on so i if they were not if they're of indian or egyptian mm. origin i personally will rule it out yeah yeah, yeah. see but i think the point then uh, i mean obviously this is not for us to even actually even i think um pronounce on because like you said investigations are taking mm. place I think I think your thoughts then on how police should track these investigations from what many are telling us there's quite a great deal of avenues that one could investigate um how should police be tracking these kinds of thoughts and opinions tracking the the crime the crime or the criminals <laughs> I think the criminals <laughs> I don't know I, I mean uh I, I think look I heard uh, the Egyptian mm. Uh, reaction because uh, the first you know assumption of these egyptians obviously they must have contacted the egyptian embassy and uh, as they uh, yesterday on safm actually heard the, the news reporters saying egyptian or saying foreign national mm. and the egyptian embassy said we have no <clears throat> idea of who they are yeah we have no evidence <clears throat> so um let's say the jury is out we have really no idea yeah and um if they were uh, egyptians and my guess is they already out of the country uh, because as you know a, a lot of crime that is committed here the big ones like uh, uh you know hostage taking um uh, asking demanding mm. for ransom a lot of them is yeah. actually coming from outside yeah. the country professor dango i want to talk to you but now about um you know about this issue as raised by mr sabir ahmed jaspai about the incidents of terror between muslims Help me understand a notion like that. We're talking globally now. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I was going to come to that. You see, we have a lot of fringe groups. So if we look at Nigeria, you got the uh, Boko Haram. If we look at Somalia, you got a Shabab. You're looking at Afghanistan, you got a Taliban. Now, all of them have a history. Now, I'm not going to defend their actions. Yeah. I think you can't defend. Right. It's violence. Mm. they've been used violence in the mosque hmm. in nigeria uh in uh, what you call in somalia and so on so um and of course isis is well known you know for hmm. doing that kind of thing hmm. now all of them i said they have a history if you look at uh in other words there are also political reasons hmm. for their emergence and for the exi- their political reasons yeah and for instance if you look at um, uh, the um, al-shabab uh, you know when siad bari was ousted from power the the ruler of 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 somalia uh, the different uh, factions began fighting in somalia and then we had um, the group called was it some union i'm trying to think of the name they actually came in and uh, took control and they put out uh, 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 and they stopped all the violence yeah and then of course the americans came and they got involved and they actually threw out this group yeah and so it is this group that has become now a shabab so so it's basically this kind of 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 issues that are taking place but but what about you know if we were to comb through to what uh, mr azad sidat he's the chairperson of the imam hussein mosque and what he says is that we here at this mosque are considered non-believers that's mm. you know paraphrasing exactly yeah. what he said um help me understand religious intolerance within islam 
Yeah, okay. Um, this is a, one, one I just said there, there is a, always a political reason. I mean, same will apply, say, to the um, Nigeria, the Boko Haram. Uh, just to give you briefly what actually happened there is that uh, the person who was going to was standing for election as governor of that state uh, wanted the support of uh, people living in that area and uh, they gave the support and then when uh, once he got in he did not with certain promises he made to them they didn't do that and that became Boko Haram and so they are attacking the state because of a broken promise uh, as far as Afghanistan you know it's because of the invasion of Afghanistan, and so there's a response to that. Now, the religious yeah, intolerance, okay, uh, there are fringe groups within Islam. There are fringe groups, extremist groups, and so uh, some of them are, you know, influenced by the leadership. And uh, what happens, remember, when you take a religious text, it's possible to actually interpret it in different ways. So some of them are actually using religious texts mm. and interpreting in a way that all those who do not belong to that particular ideology, uh, obviously they are out of the fold, um, all their enemies and so on, and so therefore it becomes, uh, uh, how should I say, uh, justified uh, to condemn them, yeah. either or even to attack them physically. Yeah. And that but is what's happening. Let, let, let's shift over to Dr. Faisal Suleiman, chairperson of the South African Muslim Network. You know, I think before we go, come into this issue of uh, religious intolerance within Islam, as was, you know, uh, highlighted there by, by some of the callers, I think what's amazing and what's, you know, very heartening, and it doesn't also surprise me because South Africa is a nation that's so consolidated like this, is this whole notion of, of, of togetherness. You know, many saying, you know, outright, uh, Selvin calls through, he says, this is not a mosque issue. It's not an Islam issue. It's an issue of violence at a place of worship and all South Africans should condemn it. You know, your thoughts on the way South Africa is, you know, consolidating their unanimous support together to speak out against a crime like this. Uh, thanks, Teresh. Look, there's a couple of points. Firstly, let me thank those callers for their well wishes and the messages of support. Uh, I really appreciate it. I think the history of South Africans now, um, when people look at this and they see the media or, or, you know, one or two people saying this may be intolerance, and it may, as Prof has indicated right at the outset, we may not know. We cannot discount it. It may yet turn out to be that, but at the moment there's no proof. Is this, that the history of South Africans, um, even here, let me give you a simple example. We, we Between us and even the Mahasabha, we have said, and, and I think we've had Prof... Uh, 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 a, a previous guest say that even the, in the conflict between, between Hindus and Muslims in India, we don't want it imported to South Africa. Um, yes, there will be differences. Yes, there's difference between Sunnis and Shias. But there's a way of getting around this that it makes us be able to live together in our country. And we're pretty clear that we want to preserve the, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. the, the, the Ubuntu that we have Absolutely. here. Dr. So, Suleiman, on that note, though, how concerning is it that you know it's seemingly here now if the conspiracy theories and these suggestions, yeah, allegations look, coming it's through? Got, it, it's, uh, look, for example, we've already started saying to people we need to start looking at security at, at mosques. We need to start looking at cameras. Obviously, if there were cameras here, it would have helped. We need to start thinking that even if this turns out to be an act of crime, let us use this to say what are the possibilities of what can go wrong 
we could, uh, you know, all of the conspiracy theories that people have put together. What if one of them one is going to happen in the future? So maybe this sad, this, this tragic incident is a way of us trying to say, what are the issues? And we've already started within the Muslim community and the religious fraternity starting to, to say we, we need to get together to discuss this after Ramadan. One is, um, is, 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 what if this turns out to, to be that? How do we address it? Uh, how do we address, first of all, security at mosques and prevention of something like this again? How do we start looking at even the media management? You know, different press releases went out, whatever. Uh, this needs to be looked at. Our history uh, shows one of tolerance. One of, I think we, we, the, all of our communities fought together against apartheid. We've had good relationships. And therefore, you see those messages of support coming because I don't think people who are listening can believe that this community who we've been together for, for, for a very long time is suddenly going to attack. Yeah. And yes, we cannot discount. Uh, I, I think Prophet said it. Until we know clearly everything's on the table, we're hoping, we're praying for religious reasons, for reasons of sanity and humanity, that it does not turn out to have been a, a sectarian issue, of, even a, a, a yeah. xenophobic issue, yeah. but perhaps whatever crime or whatever financial issue it may have been. Uh, and, 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 but still, we're going to have to take lessons mm. from here. I think, Dr. Uh, Suleiman, you raised, an, uh, uh, I think, a very tangible point, And I think that, that becomes very important when there's a time of chaos and panic. Come up with a tangible solution. And your solution, I think, of, of, of religious spaces taking more of an ownership on security is, is, is a great way to tackle the problem. I, I want to shift through to a bit more of a global issue with you. You know, and, and, and Dr. Suleiman, I, I don't even need to because you've been on my show so many times talking about the persecution of... of um, you know, so, so many minority Muslims, whether it is in Palestine, whether it is the Rohingya Muslims, um, you know, whether it is Yazidis, we've spoken at length about all of this. You know, talk to me about what this is doing to global perceptions of, as Mr. Jasbai identified, uh, you know, incidents, incidents of terror between Muslims. Yeah. Firstly, you know, Teresh, there's a statement I, I want to just maybe correct. You know, you asked what is, uh, you know, let's talk about religious tolerance, intolerance in Islam. In Islam, there's no religious intolerance. There's intolerance among Muslims. Muslims mm. for mm. various reasons, yeah. lack of education, political agendas, financial agendas, and, and, and sometimes, frankly, listening to the wrong, to the wrong preachers, mm. Uh, mm. preachers uh, spewing hate, not necessarily in South Africa, but all over the world. We have to admit there are those extremists. And, and, and they have followers, and, and, and so they are high. Unfortunately, with 1.2 billion people, even with half a percent, it turns out into a big number. So those we have to place where they are, and, and, and of course, they're in a different category. For the most of it, you know, you ask what are the implications. Teresh, you know, to dehumanize, you, you first have to dehumanize someone so that you don't care. Uh, we did it first, you have to have the Roy Khafar, the Swat Khafar, these are communists, and therefore they justified to be oppressed in South Africa. Same thing the Americans did against the Red Indians, these are savages, and that's why it's okay to, 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 to exterminate them. You don't portray them in a positive light. And it's done, it's done all over. It was done to the, the South Americans, and, and they all drug, drug cartels, and, and therefore you can invade in the 1970s, as we know, no problem invading and overthrowing the South American government uh, every few weeks. So similarly, issues like this, rightfully or wrongfully, and, and whatever the reason may really turn out to be, adds to that image. So if Muslims are uh, terrorists, and if they're fundamentalists, and they're intolerant people, and they can't assimilate with everybody else, and they want their own everything, or whatever, then if you take away their rights in other things, so if you, like, 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 like the Palestinians, I mean, Israel dropped a couple heavy bombs there. It don't even make the news a few days ago. It dropped uh, phosphorus gas and whatever. 
the Rohingya, why isn't it an international outrage? Because you're not seeing Muslims as humans anymore, worthy of, of, of your time and, and, and political rights. So you dehumanize them, and everything that happens to them after that is no big deal. We get more emotional about a you know, uh, football match than we do about about other mm. human beings' rights being taken. And mm. we see it in South Africa. You know, a very good example I can use, and people often talk about this, during the apartheid, why people were more concerned about animal rights and, and what happened to their dog than they would be, <laughs> you know, when Sapo Massacre happened. Simply because before that they had been attuned to say that blacks are not human beings, they don't deserve uh, these rights. And so what happens to them is not important. Animals are precious, and obviously we need to care about animals. Yeah, so yeah. by extension, that is the same analogy that happens across the world. In any, in any society that you demonize and you make them less than human, after that they're not worthy of human rights. Mm. Dr. Suman, I'm leave it there on ice for a little bit because it's time to take a last batch of calls now coming through. I've got 10 minutes left on the program, under 10 minutes actually. I want to take just a few more calls and then we'll conclude our discussion. Let's go to Louis Pillay on the line. Hello, Mr. Pillay. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Chekhev. Uh, my sympathies and condolences to the family. I think this was uncalled for. And I think, you know, with the Mulana around that area, I know the area well. If they, if they got a camera or a camera inside and outside, and if they got a security company that's covering that mosque, but the gunshot that was heard, the people, the neighbors, did the police do their duty in finding out from the neighbors if they saw anything? Thank you, Daresh. Thanks, Mr. Pillay. We appreciate your call. Mohammed on the line. Hello, Mohammed. Hello. Um, assalamu alaikum. Greetings in peace. Alaikum salam. Yes, go ahead. Okay. Um, just forgive me taking a deep breath. The emotions are high at the moment. Mm, I, because, I mean, you lost a breadwinner. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is um, a heinous crime, you know. Mm. Now, my first opening thing is that we, as the Muslim community of South Africa, have to take accountability and responsibility for what has gone on here. Because for years, we've warned our community members, stop spewing anti-rhetoric, sectarian rhetoric on the members at the mosque, stop spewing it on radio stations and on the media. We need to have, leave alone intersectarian tolerance, we also need to have multi-faith tolerance. Now, on the Shia-Sunni uh, issue, before we go to the conspiracy line, I think we first have to investigate that side because there's been a few priests in South Africa that are known, put on a local Muslim radio station, you'll hear him at a certain time, still continuing ranting that the Shia are anti-Muslim. Yet he himself goes yearly for Hajj and Umrah and meets fellow Shias. If the Shias were regarded as anti-Muslim, they would not have been allowed to do the pilgrimage. I'm not pro-Shia, neither am I anti-Shia. But we've allowed for too long. There's a, uh, in the Cape, there's a newspaper article that continues attacking Shias as Kafir, Shias as Kafir. Now, it's getting into people's subconscious. What happens? You're going to get certain emotional people reacting in certain ways. And we as the Muslim community have not taken the measures. We've not taken the uh, maturity of sitting down Firstly, amongst the, the scholars you have, the religious bodies, and addressing these individuals. Because you saw after the incident, immediately the ulama bodies, the various theologian bodies, the various schools of thought, immediately were forced to react, especially with Ramadan, and uh, come out with a common statement. But why did they have to wait for this incident? Number two, my last comment being, mm. who's going to control this fringe scholars, this fringe priests, that very, very aggressively 
attack other sectarian bodies, and especially more so on, on the Shia one. And the Shia one being relevant because right now in the world, if you know when you follow world politics, you see the U.S. in cap in hand with Saudi Arabia, and you pick up the tensions between Saudi Arabia and Iran, and Israel, Saudi, U.S. being in one pocket, and Iran on the other hand. So you can see the imported uh, issues here, but you also see the local priests buying into that and using the members, the mosques, using the radio stations. Yeah. We Muhammad, need, leave it there with you. need a little call. Uh, uh, yeah, I think you've made those points. I think I'll conclude on them. Muhammad, thanks for your call. We appreciate it. I think on that note, Professor Dango, let's let's conclude our conversation on that and let, let's take forward what uh, Muhammad was talking about, sectarian tolerance. And, and he says that, uh, you know, according to him, there's sufficient evidence to say that, 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 that there's a polarization, it seems, of, of the religion. Your, and, and his question was important, who's going to police it? Who's going to stop it? And your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's true that there are some uh, scholars who have been uh, publicly, you know, making statements which could create uh, animosity. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That has been happening. Um, but also I think uh, listeners need to know that there are three positions on the Shia. It's clear. Uh, some Muslims say, no, they are all Muslim. They regard them as Muslim. They don't. Then, of course, this group, which is attacking them, do not regard them as Muslim. And there is a third group, which basically says, it depends on what they actually say and what they actually do. You can't you know, give a blanket ruling that they are all not Muslim or a blanket ruling. Mm. It depends exactly on what an individual believes and what the individual expresses. Okay, so they're basically three. Now, as far as um, how do we solve the issue, look, you could sit down, you know, around the table and say, okay, listen, you have difference of opinion. Now, difference of opinion, you can never eliminate. It's been there, you know, for the last over a thousand years between the Sunni and the Shia. The only, and of course, neither one is going to give up its particular perspective. We have to be clear about that, all right? So, uh, just if we take it, the, the DA and the NC, neither one is going to, they might work together, yeah. but they're not give, going to give up their particular policies and so on. So, the same thing you're going to find here. Now, the only thing that is possible is to live in harmony. And that's what you need to call for, to live mm. in harmony. In other words, uh, you know, uh, let each one, you know, give mm. them each space to, that's all you can do. In a harmonious And the final point is this, yeah. that there are individuals and groups no matter what you tell them, you're not going to be able to stop them or control them, any part of the world. Mm. So even if you give them good advice, there's simply no guarantee because you don't have enforcing power. Yeah. All you can do is basically advice. Your so, thoughts, Dr. Fazl Suleiman, on that, the issue of you know trying to create this kind of harmony uh, existing between you know divergent groups and, and various types of people you know, across, across many sectors. And your thoughts on how that can be achieved? Look, to the extent that Prof has said, I mean, obviously I concur with what Prof has said, to the extent that people don't break the law uh, and, and, and uh, you know, uh, pursue their own uh, agendas, there's not much you can do that those who, who, who are on either side who have extreme views. But once you start breaking the law and, and, and start spewing uh, or advocating violence and you actually break the law, then the South African law must take its course. You know, uh, people who do this must, must face the... The might of the criminal justice system, especially where you start advocating uh, uh, violence, etc., uh, it, it's going to it's going to affect the entire community. Also, Rish, I, I think 
you know, we must be clear. The Southern African Muslim community is extremely protective, uh, and I think I can say this for everybody, about what we have in South Africa. And, you know, uh, in fact, I said it on BBC yesterday, we are, we are going to make sure, uh, taking this, this, this incident and what we're going to draw out of there, that we start getting our act together to ensure that no person, local or foreign, disturbs the harmony that we have in this country between Muslims and between Muslims and the rest of the community and Muslims and the law. I mean, we are this, this religious freedom we have is too precious in this country to let anybody uh, put it at risk. Uh, and I think that is, for me, uh, going forward, how I'm going to be working with our communities to ensure we organize ourselves along this level. It will take a while, it will take a lot of organization, but this is, you know, the, the step that, I want, uh, that we would like to see going forward. Um, other than that, yes, I think education, I think the drawing lessons, even those extremists um, who may have not thought that, that or, or, or people with extreme views, maybe not calling them extremists, but people with, 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 with extreme views, um, maybe they never thought that uh, if this turns out to have been a sectarian thing, that just talking about this can lead to this, um, to, to lead to one or two people actually taking action on it. And therefore, maybe they, they, they're going to have to reflect. Certainly, I know mm, yeah. the vast majority of scholars, the, the, the statements that have come out from all the theological bodies are going to reinforce this point. And I think lessons, even, again, I said, even if this turns out to have had nothing to do with sectarian or religious violence, I think there are huge lessons. Sadly, it took an incident like this to wake us up to it. But I think there are lots we can learn from you and, and prepare going forward. Dr. Faisal Suleiman, chairperson of SAMNET, and Professor Suleiman Dango, from, uh, professor of Islamic studies. Thanks very much for your time, for enlightening us on this issue, and I think for calling for that calm and that uh, unity that uh, that prevails. So yes, this broadcast was brought to you courtesy of the team, executive producer Salma Patel, Rachel Vadi. And I just want to share with you some distressing news that I've just received. We had scheduled MEC for Health, Dr. Sibong Isenitlomo, to raise your discuss your concerns. You call for him by name and he had scheduled to talk to us tomorrow between 1 and 2. He is unable to do so. Something urgent has come up according to the office. So we won't be able to continue with that conversation tomorrow. It breaks my heart because I know this was something very close to yours. But I'm working on bringing him into studio the following week. So just uh, update on that. So from me, Tadeesh, hey, have an awesome day.